I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, this is Derek Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast. Uh, another special edition this Friday. I thought this was going to be a one-off sort of thing where I just turned the mic on during a Facebook Live session on my Facebook page, uh, Derek Wetmore MLB. But I got a lot of notes last week said keep these coming, and it looks like, based on our numbers, a lot of people were digging it. So as long as you guys want to listen to my nonsensical one-sided rambling about the twins we'll keep posting on the podcast feed if you don't want to hear it let us know we'll take it off but this is another special episode just like last week's no phil Mackey, but he'll be back when we record a next episode this weekend of the touch them all podcast uh until then here is the replay of my facebook friday session enjoy i've got some hot takes for you and you've come to expect that by now uh i have some thoughts on the first game i've got my notes Three things that we're for sure going to get into in this video, and then I'll let you guys jump in with whatever you got. For sure, we're talking Jake Odorizzi. For sure, we're talking about Molitor's two sort of controversial decisions from the opener. And uh, for sure, we're talking about the new guys, the new pitchers that filled out the, the staff Thursday in Baltimore. So we'll get to all of that stuff today for sure, and we'll definitely get to your questions too and uh, maybe some Byron Buxton takes. I definitely want to talk about that today. I think that's sort of the critical takeaway. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast, thank you. This is a recast of our Facebook Live session that we're going to do every Friday around lunchtime on my Facebook page. Derek Wetmore MLB is where I stream those live. So I see Taylor in the chat, Spencer in the chat. What's up, guys? Thanks for stopping by. Let's start with Odorizzi, because I think a lot of people do want to talk about Byron Buxton, but I think that we'll go in chronological order. So we'll start with Odorizzi, who, gosh, was impressive. Six innings, seven strikeouts, two hits, uh, no runs, obviously. It was a shutout through six, bit of a pitcher's duel going with Dylan Bundy. Um, I really liked the outing from Jake Odorizzi, not only because he didn't give up any runs, but because he, like didn't really even have to use any other weapons. I see JB joining the chat. What's up, JB? Um, Odorizzi was effectively... Yeah, it was like vintage Odorizzi from the Rays, but he uses three weapons typically. You'll see this throughout the season, so I'm not really breaking any news to you here. But you'll see him go with... Uh, fastball, which he uses at any point in the strike zone and even sometimes below the strike zone. That's pitch number one. Pitch number two, he uses this splitter. It's a split finger fastball, but he calls it a split change. I think it's just because it's a couple miles slower than his fastball, but I don't think it's really fair to call it a changeup. It's like 87, 88 miles an hour. That's a split finger fastball in my book. Um, that's another one he uses. He tried to use that at the knees. So get a guy's eye level up here, strike, strike, above the strike zone, boom, splitter, bottom drops out of it. So that's weapon number two. Weapon number three, he throws a curveball like 70 miles an hour, 70 to 76, I think we saw. And really, in his seven strikeouts, yes, he did have one curveball. I think that was to Adam Jones, if memory serves, but mostly... You were just witnessing him dominating with a high fastball up in the strike zone, to which I have two thoughts. One, how often do you get away with that? Like, can you just can you do that all the time? Probably not, because then teams start to hit on it. But the second thought is, shouldn't the Orioles know that's what this guy does? I mean, they're in his division. Most of these guys have seen him an awful lot. It's not like he's a mystery to Manny Machado or Adam Jones or Chris Davis. They've seen that guy, and and he was still able to get away through six innings basically just using his high fastball as the putaway pitch. So I thought it was a really encouraging start for Odorizzi, not only because of the results, but also because of the process. I think it was was an important step um, in his Twins debut for him to be able to get away with, all right, here's my stuff. Can you hit it? And Baltimore, for the most part, could not. So that... 
pretty encouraging day for uh, Jake Odorizzi. If you guys have any questions on that, obviously I'll get to it. I see J- Dustin joined the chat. JB, uh, Taylor, Spencer, thanks for coming by, everybody. we got a few more people than that. Uh, their names just aren't displaying. But uh, who else? Oh, we got Pat Gibbs in the house. Hello, Patrick. Thanks for joining the chat, um, and thanks for the sweater. I appreciate it. Um, okay, so that's Jake Odorizzi. I'll quickly go through the other pitchers, and then I want to get to your guys' questions as quickly as I can. If you have anything from uh, day one of the Twins s- season, obviously I want to hear from you guys. That's what this chat is all about. Um, I hear myself talk all the time. It's not quite as entertaining for me. Uh, quickly, we'll go through the new guys, and then I'll get to Byron Buxton. We'll see where we're at at that point. So Odorizzi obviously makes his debut, six good innings. Zach Duke comes in in the seventh inning, and that's, I think, about where you'll see him. He's a sixth, seventh inning reliever, and apparently he's their top lefty. But interestingly, it was almost exclusively right-handed hitters he faced yesterday, and we can dive into that another time. That's probably another podcast topic Zach Duke facing righties and lefties. Taylor Rogers maybe going to be saved for lefties? Too soon to say, but let's just see how the roles shake out. Zach Duke struck out four guys in his one inning of work and gave up two runs, so that was a bit of a bummer. Um, obviously, it's a little bit on him, but it's also on catcher Jason Castro for letting that curveball in the dirt get by. Uh, who was it that let off? Was it Gentry? Um, I wrote it in five thoughts here. No, Trey Mancini, I'm sorry. Uh, So Trey Mancini strikes out, and uh, ball in the dirt, gets to the backstop. Mancini reaches first base. All right, happens. Nothing you can do about that. Then another wild pitch moves Mancini to second base. Okay, one out, runner at second. Danny Valencia comes up. You probably remember Danny Valencia. One thing you don't know about Danny Valencia, if you only remember his Twins days, is that he's kind of a lefty masher. He's had uh, made a pretty nice little career for himself out of being just a right-handed bench bat who crushes lefties. First base open, tie game, seventh inning, walk Danny Valencia intentionally. I saw some pot shots about that on Twitter. Well, if you think intentionally walking Danny Valencia there is a bad decision, we can argue about that. But if you think Danny Valencia is a bad hitter, you're not paying close enough attention. He has been great in the past couple of years against lefties. Zach Duke's a lefty, so they walk him. Runners at first and second. Strikeout. Triple. Two-run triple uh, puts Baltimore up in front. And uh, that's kind of tough luck because, obviously, if you're Zach Duke and that first strikeout's just an out, nobody on base, you're in good shape. Uh, that's not what happened. Strikeout, but instead of out number one, you got a base runner at first, nobody out, and now you got to get through three more outs. I've said basically since I started covering baseball, going back to my Baltimore Orioles days, you give a good hitting major league team four outs to work with, and you're going to have a long day. So that happened to Zach Duke. I didn't think it was a horrible debut for him, obviously. I mean, four strikeouts is four strikeouts, but it just sort of uh, puts a damper on things when it was a shutout cruising through six. Duke comes in, gives up a pair. Not really his fault, just sort of the way the coin falls sometimes. Um, Then Addison Reed, you can't say enough about the outing that he had. I'm going to snag some water here. Addison Reed I thought was great. Attack mode from pitch number one. I think I saw... Uh, I wasn't charting this myself, but I think I saw that he had uh, 20 strikes in his 23 pitches. Like, all right, he knows what he's doing up there. He's not He's not here to mess around. Uh, Addison Reed might be the Twins' best reliever, and he had two great innings on Thursday. He came out in the eighth inning of a close ball game. Molitor clearly wanted to win the opener uh, with an off day Friday. He can go to his ape weapons, and in this case... It was Addison Reed to set up, then Fernando Rodney to close, theoretically, um, after the Twins tied it in the ninth. But uh, Fernando Rodney's day did not end well. Obviously, he comes out for a second inning after I think he threw like six pitches. And then he comes out uh, for the 11th, fresh count fastball, Adam Jones in his happy zone. 
Bad result. Walk-off home run. Adam Jones uh, ambushed Fernando Rodney's second-best pitch. I think his best pitch is his changeup. And uh, he was just trying to get ahead with strike one in that case. And Jones did what Jones sometimes does. He goes yard, game over, O's win. Um, I, you know, it's it's a bad result for Fernando Rodney. It's a bad result for Zach Duke. But I think it's interesting anyways that the only holdover from last year's pitching staff that even got in the game was Trevor Hildenberger. Hildenberger struggled a little bit throwing strikes. I don't know what the deal was there. Maybe some carryover from his bad spring training. But truthfully, that says a lot about the pitching staff if on day one of the season, knowing that he has an off day tomorrow, or in this case today, Friday, okay, the fact that all of that uh, was lining up meant Mulder could go with whatever pitchers he wanted to, and he goes, new guy, Jake Odorizzi, New guy, Zach Duke. New guy, Addison Reed. Old guy, Trevor Hildenberger. And then new guy, Fernando Rodney. I don't know. Just interesting. Interesting uh, about the 2018 pitching staff. Also pretty interesting about the 2017 pitching staff. Um, I see Max has joined the chat. We got Taylor. Uh, Eric Johnson's got a question. Oh, Taylor's got a hot take. Um, okay. Interesting. Okay. So we've got some questions lined up here. I'll make sure I get to these and, uh, we'll talk about Buxton too quickly. I I'd rather get to your guys' questions. And then maybe when the questions slow down, it's Byron Buxton time. Cause I've got a lot to say about the decision with the bases loaded two down in the ninth inning trailing by two runs. You're the guy who you're sort of expecting to be your superstar gets pinch hit for, a guy that most baseball fans have never heard of. That's interesting. I personally am higher on Robbie Grossman than most baseball fans, but it's interesting. It's still something. There's a lot to uh, dig into there. We can certainly get into all that. Um, I want to get through your questions, make sure I'm not just blabbing about what I want to talk about. Let's talk about what you guys want to talk about. Spencer says, what's up? What up, Spencer? Thank you for coming. Dustin says, pitching was phenomenal by the new pitcher. Yep. Totally agree. I thought Odorizzi was great through six innings. You could argue, should you have pulled him? I think it's fine. I think uh, he gave you six good innings, gave you what you'd expect. You don't want guys facing the lineups three and four times regularly, especially a lineup that's so familiar with him. Um, Now, maybe Odorizzi could have mixed in some more things, maybe a few more splitters and some curveballs and and actually kept the lineup guessing uh, a little bit deeper into that game. But interesting that you go to Zach Duke, the lefty, to face a string of right-handed hitters, including pinch hitter Danny Valencia. But, uh, yes, Dustin, totally agree. Uh, Jacob Rizzi was great and uh, pretty interesting that they weren't going to holdovers from last year's pitching staff. Um, kind of circumstantial. Braos could have had that start, right? So it could have easily been holdovers pitching the majority of the innings, but that's not what it wound up being. It was mostly new guys. Um, Pat says, uh, damn, pink sweater swag. I feel bad for the people on the podcast. They don't quite get to see the look, but it's the uh, button-down cuff with uh, yeah, pink Nautica sweater. Um, pink socks to match, but I'm not going to show you that on the video either. So podcast listeners, sorry, you're missing out. Uh, looks like Taylor's got a hot take. Taylor says, um, hang on a second, I've got to process this. All right, Taylor says, hot take. Twins should go without a catcher up to two strikes until there are runners on base. Tell Molitor it was my idea. All right, well, uh, Paul Molitor, if you're watching this live stream or if you're just catching up on the feed later as uh, probably a loyal Touch Em All podcast listener, um, listener Taylor wants no catchers up to two strikes. I guess that's uh, there's a conversation to be had there about optimal defensive alignment. I mean, the rules don't say that you have to have a catcher, right? So pull an extreme defensive shift, maybe go with that five-man infield, um, take Adri- Adrian's off the bench and put him over second base, cover the holes a little bit more with your shortstop and second baseman. I could see it. Then the problem becomes, though, Taylor, if – the catcher isn't there. Obviously, you're just throwing into a box, 
and uh, hoping that it hits the umpire's chest protector and stays close by. If there are base runners, this is a non-starter, right? You've just got to control the running game, and you can't count on Joe West to pick up that ball and throw it back to the mound. That doesn't really seem like a fair expectation. Um, but if there's no runners on base and you're not worried about that drop third strike, okay, maybe that's an optimal defensive alignment. But then again, I wonder if you'd start to get the squeeze from Joe West if every time he threw a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, it hit him in the throat, and he had to just sort of catch his breath 15 times, 20 times an inning. It doesn't really seem fair. And then the second thing, too, is that optimal defensive strategy, maybe, because you have another fielder there to scoop up some ground balls to the pull side, but... With two strikes, then you'd need to quick get a catcher back there. So what are you doing? Are you taking one of the guys that's already on the field, throwing him behind the plate? Or do you make a substitution, in which case you lose another bench bat? The Twins are already kind of short on that. And then there's the whole speed of the game thing. If it's Adrianza going behind there or Escobar, he's got to throw on the gear for that two-strike pitch, every two-strike pitch, frankly. And that's probably just a delay that I don't think the commissioner's office would like. So I wonder how long this market inefficiency would last, you know, before our rule change kicks in and says, hey, we're endangering the lives of our umpires and we're slowing down the games. Neither of those things is a great strategy long term, so no more no-catcher defense. Um, I don't know. You might be onto something there, uh, Taylor, but... I'm not sure if I'm Commissioner Manfred, I can uh, sign off on that uh, with my head held high. I'll look into it. And if if Molitor's listening or watching or just one of his coaching staff is keeping ears on the podcast, uh, maybe something to bring up in a meeting, but I can't imagine it gets too far out of the uh, off the planning room table. That one probably gets cut on the editing floor. Frankly, our editors should just cut that out of the podcast. That was like five minutes of absolute nonsense. <coughs> All right, Eric's got a real concern, it looks like. Eric says, uh, very concerned about Fernando Rodney, even at his signing. Uh, A four-plus ERA last year and is not good for a closer. Also, why did JT Shagwa get very little chance to prove himself last year with the Twins? Big arm and the Twins let him go for nothing. Looked filthy for the Dodgers last night. Okay, a couple great points here. Eric, thank you for bringing it. You earned the uh, first like of the chat. I'll address them in order. So Fernando Rodney, go go to his baseball reference page. In fact, I'll do this right now while we're on here because we got a couple of minutes. I'm Googling Fernando Rodney reference, and we'll uh, pull up his baseball-reference.com page, and we'll go to his game log because you mentioned a 4 ERA last year. Agreed. Also, a bad start to the season for him. Agreed. You know, gets the loss, gives up a walk-off home run on the road on game one. Never a good thing. But I will say, I really like his changeup. And he was a much better pitcher after the month of April ended. So, so last year for the Diamondbacks, which, by the way, I watched the Diamondbacks game last night, too. They could be a sneaky good team. Um, Patrick Corbin pitched all right. I was watching it for the Rockies. I think I'm going to kind of follow the Rockies this year as my National League team because they're interesting. But uh, um, anyways, Fernando Rodney's former employer, the Arizona Diamondbacks, did not like what he gave them in April. I can guarantee you that. Uh, April last year, by the end of it, dude had pitched how many innings here? just like a handful of games last april dude pitched 10 innings to a 12.6 era including five runs and three runs in his uh, final two outings of the month so that's not good but you look over flip the calendar to may his ledger gets a lot cleaner so let's pay attention to that real quick i'm gonna i'm gonna scan from may 1st to the end of the season for fernando rodney and here are his stats 45 and a third innings, 52 strikeouts and 19 walks. 
And that's a, uh, let's see, how many earned runs? 12 earned runs, so a 2.38 ERA. Not a full season of work, only five-sixths of a season. Uh, and then they had Archie Bradley at the end of games late in the year, obviously. Um, but that's a pretty good run there for a closer who was 40 at the time. Now, what is he? Is he 41 now, or is he just turning 41? Uh, let's see if it says here. Yeah, in March. Your guy, Fernando Rodney, turned 41 years old. So, look, I'm not going to say he's like a perfect closer, and I've been on the record all winter as saying he's not even the Twins' best reliever. I think Addison Reed's a better reliever. I think Trevor Hildenberger, if his track record last year is to be believed, I think Hildenberger's a better reliever than Rodney. But to your question on like his ERA last year, I'm not as concerned about that because it was pretty good from May 1st to the end of the season. Um, so that's my bit on Fernando Rodney. And then JT Shagwa, I didn't see his outing, but I did hear he looked filthy and he was the, I think he was the first guy out of the Dodgers bullpen after Clayton Kershaw came out of the game. Right. So that's a, that's a pretty good sign for their waiver claim as to why he didn't get a chance last year. He was hurt all last year. Um, I think the twins would have let him go and, uh, let him, let him go pitch. If he was healthy, he wasn't healthy. I think the Twins really counted on him in the bullpen last year and through injury or ineffectiveness or some combination, let him down. They needed a roster spot. Which signing was that for? Um, Was that Logan Morrison? Um, I can't remember if that was the Logan Morrison signing, but they needed a 40-man spot in spring training. They outright, not outright, they put uh, Shagwa on DFA waiver, so designate for assignment or release. Dodgers claim him. They were like the last team in line, basically, or the second to last team in line, and they claimed Shagwa. So he almost got through waivers, and the Twins could have uh, assigned him to the minor leagues or released him, I guess, if they just wanted to be done with him. But... uh, yeah, interesting that the Dodgers picked him up, and then equally interesting that uh, he was great last night. Now, one inning does not a full season make, so like just be careful about rushing to judgments. But if JT Shagwa turns into the one that got away and the Twins struggle in the bullpen this year, that's bad. That's a, a bad move for the Twins front office if that plays out the way it's tracking. But it's obviously it's really early to say that, so I'm not going to rush to judgment and say that they didn't know what they were doing. It was just a guy got hurt last year. They couldn't count on him. Comes to spring this year, need a roster spot. They thought he was the first one off. Uh, Interesting that they took him off before Kenny Vargas, even though they were uh, clearly not planning to have Kenny Vargas in their uh, opening day plans. Um, Shows you what they thought about JT Shagwa or what they thought the rest of the league thought. Maybe they thought they could get him through and uh, just get a free roster spot that way, but that's not how it happened. Looks like Jordan joined the chat. Kevin's got a question. Plenty of stuff. We're picking up steam here on the Facebook. uh, What are we calling this? we got to come up with a name for this. If anybody has a name in the chat, what we should call these uh, Friday sessions where we hang out and talk twins, let me know. Totally open, uh, and then we'll file for patents and trademarks and uh, sue anybody who tries to use the name. That's where we'll make our real killing. We're going to make tons and tons of money off copyright infringement. (coughs) All right, Max says, I think Taylor is on to something. He's talking about the uh, no catcher up to two strikes rule. All right, you guys, if, uh, if two listeners say that it might make sense... It might make sense. We could be on to something here. Um, So, Twins coaches, uh, kick that around. Let me know why it wouldn't work. I think we just came up with an optimal uh, defensive alignment. It's free market inefficiency. We're just free ideas. That's what my listeners come up with. Um, All right, Max also has a, a question. More Ks this year, Sano or Buxton? Good question. So Buxton looked bad in a couple of at-bats against Dylan Bundy. Bundy's a good pitcher. He makes people look bad. I get it. But um, just some non-competitive swings and a two-strike breaking ball that uh, Buxton did not look like he was even trying to swing at it. He swings over the top of it, swing and a miss. 
Even during his breakout last year, Buxton had contact issues. So I do think even if he's on this star track that we all think he is, he's going to strike out a lot. And I'm not comparing him to Mike Trout. I'm just using him in a sentence with Mike Trout. But Mike Trout strikes out an awful lot, and he's a great player. So strikeouts aren't like the worst thing in the world. But uh, I can definitely see why Paul Molitor pinch hit for Buxton with the bases loaded. And knowing that, like, that's why Robbie Grossman is on the team to avoid outs late in games and get the occasional spot start, maybe in a corner outfielder at DH. But uh, apparently, Molitor just trusted Robbie Grossman there to avoid an out more than he trusted Byron Buxton. What does that say about Buxton? Well, maybe they're not buying into the uh, superstar track quite yet. Or maybe they think he's a star player who's going to. Add great value in the field, who's going to provide some value at the plate, definitely have some power, some stolen base, some speed. But can you trust him to put together a great at-bat late and make a filthy closer like Brad Brock work for it? That's one spot where I think you could draw the line and say, ah, boy, Buxton has some better at-bats, and he certainly his. uh Plate discipline, I think, has gotten better. His pitch recognition, his uh, selection with pitches he can do damage with, I think has gotten a lot better. But, I mean, Robbie Grossman has one of the best eyes on the team, in in my opinion. Like, that, that is what Robbie Grossman is on the team for. And do you trust him more than Buxton there? I don't know. I think you could argue that's what you should trust Buxton to do this year. I think you could also argue, hey, even if you don't trust Buxton as much as Grossman, that's a spot you need him to develop. You need him to learn how to be that guy. I saw that on Twitter a lot yesterday, and I don't necessarily hate that argument. But the flip side of that for me is every game for the Twins this year matters. It matters a lot. You're a fringe playoff team, and if you're willing to just throw away a handful of games to let somebody develop that you think is going to be a very good player – Um, Byron Buxton or Max Kepler or whatever. I think that's a real problem for a team like this because you're in win now mode. Um, You know, it's like, it's like the uh, NFL team. Oh, there's one in this town. Okay. You've got the choice. You could either draft a quarterback and just hit the reset button, really work on building him. Maybe like the uh, Texans did with Deshaun Watson or, or you can just go spend all of the money on Kirk Cousins and say, like, all right, listen, this team's got to win right now, so we are, okay, going to Robbie Grossman because this win matters. This game matters. No, that's more of a football mentality than a baseball mentality, but I think it's the right approach for the 2018 Twins. You're, like, right on the fringe of that playoff spot, in my opinion. So go ahead and lock up wins in April because they're super important. And... I don't think you can just forego wins for development at this stage for the Twins, not with where they're at on the projected win curve. And you might laugh at that now, and then we're going to be sitting here in the middle of September saying, like, boy, the Twins need to win, you know, whatever, six of eight to keep pace with the Angels and the Mariners in the wild card race and the, and the Red Sox, whatever. And I'm going to say, I told you so. You should have tried to win those games in April. So anyways, this is a really, really long way of answering your question, Max which was about Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano's strikeout totals. But I knew I needed to get that sidebar in here somewhere. We needed to talk about Byron Buxton, preferably in the first half of the podcast. Um, And you're welcome for working in a Kirk Cousins reference um, during my long-winded answer. But your question was simple. More strikeouts, Sano or Buxton? Now that we know Sano started the season healthy, not on the disabled list, and eligible to play, not on the suspended list, I'm going to go Sano, and I don't know if it's going to be close. Um, Depends how many plate appearances they get, because I think Buxton's strikeout rate was like 28% last year. Sano's is like 36. I mean, he's one of the league leaders on a per-plate appearance basis striking out. That's one real thing that's holding Sano back from being a superstar, is he goes for the big contact, and in favor, he prefers that, I suppose, than uh, just making better contact. Because I I really think if he just, if he tamed down his swing or if he wanted to, I think Sano's a better hitter than that. I think he is capable of running up much better contact rates just because I've watched a lot of batting practice for Sano. 
I know he cares about distance more than he cares about, you know, base hits to right field. Um, no matter what he says in the media, he says he wants to use the whole field and da-da-da-da-da. No, you can tell his approach, he wants to smoke it and hit 40 home runs, which is good. He should want to do that. But I think he has better hands than what his contact rate shows. All of that being said, he strikes out at a higher rate than Buxton. If they get the same number of plate appearances, I think it's going to be Sano, and I think it's going to be by a lot. So I think that was a world record. I should run my stopwatch next time. He asks the question, who strikes out more, and I could have used a one-word answer, and I think I talked for 25 minutes. But uh, anyways, thanks for the question, Max. Appreciate it. Let's see here. We got a couple questions in a row from Spencer, it looks like. Spencer, I'm going to go rapid fire because I see like four questions here in a row. And then, because I want to make sure I get to everybody. Um, if you've, and if you got more, obviously drop them in the chat. That's totally cool, too. We've still got some time here. I'm doing this till the end of the Mackie and Judge show on 1500 ESPN, which goes till 1 o'clock, 1230 right now. So we got a minute if you guys have some questions or uh, hot takes for me. We've only had one hot take so far in this chat. It's a little, uh, it's a little disappointing, guys. I've come to expect more hot takes. Um, Spencer says, "How about that five-man infield? Yeah, how often do you see that work?" Molitor brings in an outfielder, gives Eddie Rosario an infielder's glove, and Jonathan Scope, who's a pretty dang good player, grounds into a six-two-three double play to end it, uh, end the inning, anyways, end the Orioles' threat. They could have walked it off earlier. Pretty interesting. You don't see it work out all too often. It certainly did work out. Escobar gets the ground ball, goes to the plate. Castro, enough time. Grab it, touch home, turn and throw down to first. 6-2-3 inning-ending double play. Uh, it's a gutsy call, and it worked. Um, Spencer says, Buckton an all-star this year? I'm going to say yes. Spencer, I'm feeling confident about this team. Very very positive loss. Yeah, I mean, as far as positive loss, like I'm not a moral victory guy. You need to win games. At you know, at the end of the season, they don't say like, well, they won 84 games, but like some of the losses were really encouraging. Like you don't get bonus points for that. But with that being said, I still think there are a lot of positives you could take out of it. Odorizzi was great. Um, Buxton might be a negative. Um, Zach Duke, four strikeouts, so that's something. Addison Reed looked awesome. Um, as far as offensively, I mean, Robbie Grossman gets a big hit, so that was an encouraging thing. How about this for a, you know under-the-radar big moment of that game? Max Kepler drew an 11-pitch walk against a really good closer. I know he's just a stand-in for Zach Britton, but Brett Brock's a good pitcher, so... Uh, Max Kepler drawing an 11-pitch walk in the ninth inning to even set up the possibility of Robbie Grossman's late-game heroics. Um, that one maybe didn't get enough credit. I thought that was a, a really encouraging sign if you're the Twins um, for Max Kepler. His real, real, real struggle last year was with lefties, um, so much so that like I've seen people write and talk about this winter that maybe you sit Kepler against tough lefties. If he's going to be who he was against lefties last year, you're sitting him against all lefties, not just tough lefties. I mean, he was unusable against Southpaws last year. But Brad Brock, a righty, filthy stuff, nasty closer for the Baltimore Orioles. Kepler draws an 11-pitch walk, including an excellent take on the 11th pitch of the at-bat, a fastball outside that I think Brock really, really wanted that pitch, that call, and Cowboy Joe West didn't give it to him. That is uh that's an impressive uh, big boy plate appearance as they say for Max Kepler. Um so anyways, Spencer agreed. Loss is a loss, but there are some positive signs to take out of it and and those would be a couple of them. I see Karen joined the chat. Thanks for coming Karen. Um who else we got here? Spencer. What was your last question? Oh, thoughts on Castro. Uh he's a catcher. Yesterday, somebody asked me, actually, if you'd pinch hit Castro there in that ninth inning, and I could see it. You might want Castro. uh, You don't want his bat there in that situation. But flip side of that, who are you going to pinch hit? You know, you already used Robbie Grossman. 
and Escobar would be another bench bat, but, oh, Polanco suspended, so he's your starting shortstop. So your bench is catcher Mitch Garver. You want to pinch hit him there? I don't know. Um, A. Ray Adrianza. You going to pinch hit him there for your catcher in a game that might be tracking toward extra innings? I don't know. Uh, then your only other options, Ryan Lemaire, who was already in the game as a pinch runner. So Robbie Grossman is the guy you'd pinch hit, and you already pinch hit him. Just It's uh, tough to see. Uh, I mean, you could argue Garver, so maybe that's maybe that's the argument. But um, I don't think that that was a huge like oversight by Molitor to, uh, to let Castro play there. I'm cool with it. All right, Dustin's got a question. I see Dustin... Uh, Jean-Baptiste, Max, Kevin, Eric, Dustin again, Jacob, Spencer, and Greg. Awesome. All right, we're getting some questions, boys and girls. Let's uh, let's start with Dustin. We'll just go in chronological order. He says, uh, positive outlook overall for the game yesterday. The season hopefully will be great to watch. Yep. I'm with you there. I think the Twins... I think the Twins could win 90 games this year, and I know that's a bit of a hot take for me, but I think this is a good team. I think that uh, if they have to dig into their depth, they're in a better spot than they were last year by a mile. And I think that uh, if they're in it, in the wild card race, at the trade deadline, unlike last year when the front office gave up on the Twins, I think this year they're going to double down, add some pieces, maybe you go get another starter or something like that to add to the top of the rotation, um, or another arm I mean, their offense is going to be good, so I don't know that you need a bat unless somebody gets hurt or something. But anyways, agreed. I think this is going to be a good season for the Twins. Jean Baptiste wants to know, do you think Jake Odorizzi can sustain the level of play he showed yesterday? Uh, we see a lot of different sports that newcomers often have great starts and then tend to disappoint. JB, it's a great question. I do personally. I Look. He's not going to give up zero runs every time out. But I do think that Jake Odorizzi is a really solid pitcher. I think he finishes the year maybe like a 3.5 like a ERA or something like that, and that's great. You'll definitely take that. Um, if you're expecting him to be kind of like a number three starter, like a mid-rotation starter, I think you're going to be really pleasantly surprised. If you're expecting him to be Clayton Kershaw, I think you're going to be disappointed. I don't think that he's Clayton Kershaw. I don't think that's a very hot take. But um, can he sustain the level of success yesterday? No, probably not. But can he sustain a successful season and make 32 good starts for the Twins, pitch you know, 190, 200 innings? Totally. That's totally within his capability. I, I'm high on Odorizzi. <clears throat> I got a piece coming. I should, I'll probably run it um, for his next start or something. I talked with Odorizzi at length this spring about how he tries to attack hitters and uh, sort of what his game plan is up there. He shared his playbook. He basically said, this is what I'm trying to do. And so um, I'm looking forward to writing that story. Uh, he can't share all the trade secrets, I'm sure. He kept some to himself. But um, he talked a lot about how he uses his fastball, and we saw that in spades yesterday. So, JB, short answer to your question, yeah, I think he's going to be a pretty good pitcher this year for the Twins. Um, I think they're going to have a, you know, and at least an average rotation. They've got some solid arms out there now. Uh, let's see here. Max wants to know: Can they put Sano on the DL for being fat? Yeah, I guess if if you thought it was like affecting him physically, you could. I don't think you can just say like excessive body weight in his DL. But keep in mind, he also had off-season surgery, so you could say, like, man, he's just sore. He's having a tough go, and he's got a lot to carry on those wheels. We just got to make sure we get him off his feet every once in a while. You could do that. I think they're going to DH him some to try to keep him off his feet. Um, but with that being said, you also got to look at the plays he made yesterday. One to his backhand, big arm play. One kind of charging in, another arm play. So Noah will make those, and I think, He's still, I mean, he's a big guy, and he should probably lose some weight, in my professional opinion. But with that being said, he has the possibility of being a plus defender for the Twins, like a better-than-average third baseman. So you got to balance all that stuff and try to figure out how do you keep him in the lineup, how do you keep his bat 
basically right where you want it in the middle of your lineup. And uh, how good is the glove going to be, and can he hold up over a full season? I'm watching that on a daily basis. Like, those are all questions I have. They're all fair questions, in my opinion. Um, but, like, technically, to answer your question, can you put him on the DL for being fat? I don't think so. I don't think that is uh, within – I don't think that's within Major League's rules. Um, let's see. So I've got Kevin, Eric, Dustin, Jacob – Let's start in order here. Kevin wants to know, what's your take on Zach Duke? Trouble with command, but looked like he had nasty stuff, even if he had no idea where it was going. Yeah, when he was a starter, that was definitely the case. And uh, he told us at Twins Fest that he basically knew teams were done with him as a starter, so he, he went to being a reliever. Um, he does have some good stuff. I do think that his uh, limited track record post-injury some signs of encouragement. I think he's got the potential, if you look at his three- and five-year track record, to be a really solid reliever for the Twins. I think it's telling that they'd use him over Taylor Rogers, who Rogers had a really good season last year. It ended kind of, you know, not the way you'd want it to if you're Taylor Rogers, but, man, he was great for a long time for them and a valuable weapon out of their bullpen. Um, so my thoughts on Zach Duke, like, Solid reliever, lefty that they're going to use, and they clearly they trust him a lot. Um, Castro's probably got to smother that curveball, to be honest with you. Like, you called it. You know that's what's coming. You worked with them in spring training. But with that being said, like, pass balls happen, wild pitches happen, and it was just kind of bad timing for the Twins that that one then kicked away to the backstop. That run comes around to score. Um, overall, Zach Duke, yeah, he's fine. I'm not uh, I'm not panicking on that move just yet. Um, Eric says good points, thank you. I'm not sure which points you're talking about, but um, it's encouraging to me that at least one of them has been good in the what 40 minutes that we've been going on this podcast. So thanks for that. Um, it reminds me, I just saw a couple of likes pop up. Um, if you're in this chat, hit the little like button because that's how Facebook goes into its little computer algorithms and says, oh, some people like this video, we should share it with other people. Um, and whether you like this video or not, I'm trying to hack the system here and get Zuckerberg to share me around with some people so we reach some more Twins fans and we can do this on a weekly basis. Um, so if you're in the chat, you haven't already liked it, please hit the like button. It would help share us and uh, it would trick uh, Mr. Zuckerberg into putting our uh, little video here in front of a few more people. So thank you to all the people who just did that. My gratitude to you. Uh, Dustin's got a recommendation for the uh, video, and he's going out on the creative limb. Dustin says, Twins Talk Fridays. I like it. So simple that it just might work. Uh, if anybody has other video suggestion names. Dustin, I don't know if we can like trademark Twins Talk Fridays. I think that's probably a little too general. But um, we can call it that. We just won't get the uh, big, uh, you know, seven-figure copyright infringement lawsuit that we were banking on to fund this channel. Uh, Jacob says, "What are your thoughts on putting in Reed uh, in the closer role?" All right, so it's a good question. Thanks, thanks, Jacob, for bringing it up. Here's what I think: is that Addison Reed's a better reliever than Fernando Rodney. That's my personal opinion, but. Fernando Rodney, if he's going to pitch one inning at a time only with the Twins like tied or leading, maybe you give him some high leverage innings. I actually think the Twins are going to be able to use Reed in higher leverage situations overall than if he were the closer. So, so personally, I would not always put the best reliever in the closer's role. I would put a competent, trustworthy reliever with strikeout ability in the closer's role, but then I'd put my best reliever in sort of a all right, when's the biggest spot in the game? Kind of think about it like Andrew Miller. I'm not comparing Addison Reed and Andrew Miller. I'll take Miller 10 times out of 10. But Addison Reed is a good reliever. He's got a good track record. He doesn't have the huge fastball and huge strikeout totals like other like bigger-name relievers, but he's been solid basically everywhere he's gone. If I'm Paul Molitor, I would rather, oh, uh, second and third, one out, in the seventh inning, and here comes Manny Machado. Addison Reed, I need you here, bud. Rather than saying, like, oh, man, who do we go to because we got to save Reed for the ninth inning just in case the save comes up. 
So I'd rather go to Reed than a lesser reliever and say like, hey, Ryan Presley, will you get Manny Machado, Adam Jones, and Jonathan Scope out? Thanks, bud. I, I think Ryan Presley's going to have a big year. I just wouldn't trust him in that spot over like Addison Reed. I would go with who I think is the Twins' best reliever. In this case, I think there's no problem turning to Addison Reed in a high leverage spot earlier in the game just because it's the seventh inning. I don't think you should let the inning dictate when you leave your use your best uh, highest leverage reliever. I kind of sense that that's what's going on with the Twins, that they signed Fernando Rodney. He's going to pitch in the ninth inning, or in yesterday's case, the 10th and the 11th innings. But um, as to your question, Jacob, about like would I, would I put him in the closers role right now? No, I'd keep Addison Reed available. <coughs> Excuse me. I'd keep him available for like higher leverage spots, maybe earlier in the game, maybe later in the game, but he was filthy. Uh, he was in attack mode from pitch one yesterday, and I would I would stick with that where I kind of like go with him as the guy that I trust the most in the key spots. That's what I would do with Addison Reed. Uh, Spencer says, isn't this the last year of Maurer's massive contract? What do the Twins do with him after this season? Yes, it is, and I don't know. What I would do with him is wait and see how he performs this year. If he's great and, you know, you think you need him next year, sign him. But if he's uh, so-so and you got Logan Morrison on a team option and you got Miguel Sano who could maybe play some first base, maybe you don't need Maurer, and then you say goodbye. I think it's fairly straightforward. I, I don't think this front office is going to be too tied to sentimentality. Um, I mean, if they were, they would have already extended Brian Dozier, the most popular player on the Twins. But they didn't. They let him go into a contract walk year, too. Ditto for Irvin Santana. So what do you do with him? I think you asked me that question again in September. I'll have a better answer for you. For right now, my answer is, I don't know. I would just be guessing. And a lot of people make a lot of money. They make a career on just guessing and guessing like confidently. Whether they're right or wrong, they were confident with their guess. I'm not that guy. I think that it's too soon to say what happens with number seven. Um, he'll retire as one of the greatest twins of all time whenever he decides to retire and whether or not he goes to play for some other team for a couple of years. Um, but as to do you extend his contract? I mean, I probably wouldn't do it during the season. But I would, uh, I'd be open to the idea if he has a good year. Um, so anyway, Spencer, thanks for that question. All right, we got a few more, and it looks like we got like maybe 10 minutes left here. So I'll try to go as quick as I can. Um, you guys know I'm not very good at being short-winded, but uh, we'll give it a go here. Greg, Eric, Dustin, Spencer, Kevin, Spencer, Max, Spencer. Spencer, flooding the chat. Love it. Uh... Greg's got a hot take. Thank you, finally. We have only had one hot take in 47 minutes or whatever. Keep up the pace. we got to have a hot take quotient of 2 per 60. That's kind of the minimum. It looks like we're going to hit that quota today. Uh, Greg says, hot take. Since Guardy is managing the Tigers, he'll once again get ejected from a game at Target Field. All right, that's not too, too hot of a take, but... Since I disagree with you, it counts as a hot take. I don't think he's going to get ejected because as much as uh, we all appreciated how Gardy could just sort of be a hothead and some of it's for show and some of it's sticking up for his guys and some of it's he just got mad, blew a fuse, and blew up on Angel Hernandez. Uh, maybe, uh, but he's only playing, you know, whatever, handful of games at Target Field this year. And he's obviously going to be hyper aware of it. First time coming back as a manager of another club. He's going to be asked a million questions about Minnesota and, oh, wasn't your time so great? And relive all your memories. And wasn't it cool managing the Twins? And, boy, look at this palace at Target Field. Isn't this awesome? There's going to be a lot of that stuff going on when the Tigers come to town that I don't think Garden Hire is going to sort of get swept up. He's done this before. He is a pro's pro. I think uh, maybe he'll get kicked out of a few games this year. Maybe he'll get tossed. But two things. One, he'll be hypercognizant of where he's managing in the third base dugout. Number two, 
managers just aren't getting kicked out of games as much anymore. Now that you can't go and say like, hey, that's BS. He was out at second base and you know it. You blew it. Change your call. And then some swear words are uttered and you get run. Happened all the time. Now they have instant replay where he runs out and he says, hey, that's BS, but I'm cool with it. We'll just uh, challenge and we'll show the world all at once in super slow motion how you're an idiot and blew that call. So I'm good here. I said my piece. I feel like managers are stopping short of getting kicked out uh, more and more. We just really – we haven't seen Mahler get run too much, and part of that's his um, – how he carries himself, but part of that's too like – Instant replay just takes out the need to kick and scream and pick up third base and throw it on home plate and kick dirt all over it and curse up and down until you're blue in the face. We just It's a shame, but we don't see that as much in baseball anymore. Um, but Greg, much appreciated on the hot take. We were sorely lacking for the first 45 minutes of this podcast. Um, let's see. Eric says, why no contract extension for Dozier? Is there something wrong or do we have too many infield prospects ready to come up next year? Okay. Wrote about that at length. Um, a couple short answers. Yes. An extension to take him into his mid thirties. So you wonder about that. Do his skills age? Well, two is Polanco, a second baseman is Nick Gordon, a second baseman three. Look at the free agent market. The Twins probably feel like they can go get like a Neil Walker-level player for $4 million and call it a day rather than spend you know, $60, $70, $80 million on a Brian Dozier extension. Um, if you want to hear more about that or read more about that, Eric, um, I think i got to remember what the name of the piece is. Let me look it up. This is, this is Bush League of me to do, but I'm going to say I'll share my story in the chat. Um, it's like four reasons why the Twins could wait on a contract. They could afford it, and I think you could make the case that they should be extending Dozier, but I'm also kind of like, eh, yeah, I could see why they wouldn't. Um, Eric, I'm putting that in the chat now, so if you want to go read that story, it's there for you. Uh, losing Brian Dozier would sting, but here, what is it? But here are four reasons why the Twins could wait on a contract. I kind of laid it all out in that piece. So check that out in the chat. Um, thanks for the question. What do we got here? All right, rapid fire because we're coming up on the end of the show. Looks like Bryce joined the chat. Hey, Bryce, Kevin, Max, Lauren joined the chat. <laughs> loving the sweater, loving the hot takes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, if you've got any hot takes, Lauren, be happy to drop them in the chat, too. I know that you're a bit of a hot take artist yourself. Uh, let's see. Dustin, what's going on with Brian Dozier stuff lately? Okay, yep, kind of the same question we just got to. Spencer says, I get that it's two different sports, but would you compare the extension of Andrew Wiggins and Joe Maurer? Maurer was the MVP that year, and I feel Wiggins got it too early. No, I wouldn't compare him because the salary cap's different in the NBA. He sort of like had no choice with Andrew Wiggins, from my understanding. Kind of backed into a corner and hoped that he becomes a star that lives up to the contract. Maurer was already a superstar, and you almost couldn't afford to lose him when you were opening Target Field. I can't imagine. Like, Target Field would not still be standing if Joe Maurer was not signed. I'm, I'm not saying he, like, built Target Field or he's really even won anything for the Twins. It's just that if you said we need to be competitive so we need to get a better stadium and then your MVP homegrown number one overall draft pick walks and signs with the Boston Red Sox, that's a bad look. I think people would have probably burned the facility to the ground. So as a fire insurance policy, the Twins signed Joe Maurer to a big contract. And, like, what are you going to do? His home run spike was a blip on the radar. They probably should have accounted for that. But, uh, you know, Target Field hasn't been kind to his power. And then he got hurt a lot. That sucks. That's the risk you take with a big money contract. Wiggins... Wiggins, I feel like it's a different story there. Like, you're waiting to see if he develops the all-around game versus Maurer was legitimately one of the best players in baseball at the time that he got his contract. So uh, that's that, Spencer. Kevin wants to know, is the high strike zone fastball going to become the pitching adjustment to the launch angle trend? This is a great question. Short answer is yes. I think you're going to see more pitchers work up in the zone, and that means two things. One 
is more home runs because batters are just doing this and they're saying like, okay, that low strike, I can now get under, barrel it up and lift it. I can really elevate that pitch and that's going to lead to more home runs across the league. We've already seen that counter thing that it's also going to lead to is some swing and miss because if guys are gearing their swing plane to do that, you know, coming up through the strike zone, work on their launch angle and just hit it in the air. All right. You're susceptible to that high pitch. I think you're going to see home runs go up again this year. I think you're going to see more guys hit 20 home runs than even hit last year, which is a lot. I mean, Eduardo Escobar hit 20 home runs last year. That's there's, there's a lot of players across major league baseball who got to 20 last year. You're going to see more of that. And then you're going to see more strikeouts. And I would be willing to wager, Kevin, you're going to see more strikeouts at the top of the strike zone. We saw a ton of them from Jake Odorizzi yesterday. I think that's going to continue to play. Unless something changes and uh, Major League Baseball owns up to the fact that the ball is probably juiced, well, then it's going to continue to trend in this direction where offense is good, home runs are good. I think strikeouts are good. Probably for the casual fans, strikeouts are not good. But yeah, 100% agree with your take there that if baseball keeps sort of trending in the direction that it is right now, you're going to see more of that high strike zone strikeout. You can come in if you want to. Is that Wheeler? We got a we probably got a guest here at 1500 ESPN. Oh, maybe it's Phil Mackey. I suppose they would have just gotten off the air. Phil can come join the chat, but uh, we'll see if we'll see if that's who that was. All right, uh, let's see. We got another name suggestion. Fridays with Wetmore. All right, I like it. But does it have too much of a like Tuesdays with Maury vibe? Kind of worry about that. We'll see. I'll consider that one. Um, Max says, thanks for your time. D-Wet, insightful as always. Thank you, Max. Appreciate you stopping by, man. Um, Spencer says, how do you feel about the batting order with Do- uh, Buxton 8th and Dozier 1st? I think it says a lot about each of those players. I think that means they trust Dozier and say, where do you want to hit? And he says, lead off, and they say, okay. And then I think it also says, like, we don't want a repeat of last year where Buxton was expected to hit 3rd, sink or swim, and he sank. I think they're going to make him earn it. Um, curious to see how that tracks. I don't think Buxton will be hitting eighth in September, but that's just me. Um, what else do we got? What do you think would be a good season for Boreos? JB wants to know. I think give him 185 innings, give him a 22% strikeout rate and a 3.5 ERA, and you'd be pretty happy with that. Um, if he, t- if he really takes a step forward, it'd be huge for the twins. He wants to contend for a Cy Young. And if he's doing that, the twins are in the playoffs. I mean, then they have this horse at the top of their rotation. I think that's a little aggressive. I think it'd be premature to say that's what I expect from Barreos. Uh, I'm just always wary about guy has a good year in his first season in the big leagues. He's 23. What's that step back look like? Does he have any sort of regression in year two? Um, Lauren says, loving the sweater, hot takes. Thank you. That is what we specialize in here. Maybe that's what it should be. The Twins chat should be called like Hot Takes and Sweater Game. Uh, Spencer says, got to give credit to Falvey and Levine for what they've done to put this team together. Agreed. Good winner. Hard to argue. David Winter says, what are the chances we see the good Phil Hughes this year? Non-zero. But uh, probably not great. Kevin says, great segment. Looking forward to next week. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for coming by. Really appreciate it. Um, And then Stuart says, this is the last one here, and we'll get out of here, guys. I've always thought Eduardo Escobar is super underrated. Does he take the job and run with it now? I don't know. That's up to him. I think he made a boneheaded play in the field yesterday. I wrote about that in my five thoughts column. He's got to be smarter um, and more trustworthy at shortstop if he's going to take the job and run with it. But if he hits, yeah. I mean, if he's hitting, it's hard to justify taking his bat out of the lineup once Polanco gets back. It's it's too early to say, obviously. I think that uh, I think let's see what happens in like you know March, April, and May, and and where they're at when Polanco's ready to come off his suspension. Um, but if I had to guess, I'd say like he's probably not the shortstop in September. That's just my gut. Um, so anyway, that's the last question I can get to. My phone just gave me the little notification that we're running low. Got to get out of here for the podcast audience too. Um, thank you for coming by everybody who did. I appreciate this chat and we'll, uh, we'll do it again next week, I guess. 
we'll have some more Twins baseball to talk about, but it's fun to actually talk about real games. Um, if you're here still and you're on your way out, throw a like on the video, and then you can close up and say goodbye until next week. If you do that, it just it shows Facebook. It, like, it lies to Facebook and says, like, hey, people liked watching this video. Maybe you should show it to more people. And that would help me out selfishly. So if you're still here, do that. Maybe check out the podcast feed if you get a chance this week. We'll have multiple new episodes coming this week on the Touch 'em All podcast. So if you like Twins Talk, I think that you'd like that. Um, that's it for me on whatever we're calling this Twins Chat, Fridays with Wetmore or Twins Talk and Sweater Game or I don't know. We're going to have to work on refining that name. But uh, I appreciate you guys coming out, and we'll plan on seeing you next week. Cheers. Hey guys, it's Derek one more time. If you enjoyed these and you want more, there's plenty more where that came from. 1500ESPN.com. I've got my series up there. Or you can sign up for my email list. You'll find that by going to 1500ESPN.com, pulling up any of these twins columns. If you scroll to the bottom, put your email address in there, you are automatically subscribed to my baseball insider list where you'll get a lot of these columns and analysis. If you want to follow my coverage, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Derek Wetmore MLB. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.